Greetings, Parish Orphans of Retrogrades. Today, I'm joined again by my friend, Dr. Michael Robillard, and another guest. What's up? What's up, Michael? How the heck are you, man? How's it going? Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah, of course. Of course. It's better than having you wait outside the room while you're staying at our house. And, I know. Uh, yeah. But we're joined by yet another guest, a mutual friend of ours, who has appeared on this show, Mr. Will Noland, who was a former teacher at the most prestigious all boys prep school in the UK, who was fired for teaching masculinity at an all boys school in a debate class, and who is uh, a, a great uh, six child having patriarch of a Catholic family, and who has turned tutor and has taken to the internet. A very similar story to yours truly here. Both of us were fired when we had six kids, and he was on the show about a year ago, uh, right after it happened. And, well, you join us again today. Good to see you, brother. And you. Thanks for having me on again. It's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to see you, man. I was telling Mike, we were, we were having tuna subs uh, just now before we came on. And I was, because it's Friday and all. And I was like, one of the dudes on Twitter whose tweets with whom I almost never disagree about tweets is Mr. Will Nolan. So it's a, it's a pleasure to have you back on, man. Well, okay. yeah, I've been looking forward to it. Now, what I thought we three could talk about today is the topic of the patriarchy. I've written a book on it called The Case for Patriarchy. What it is, yay. What it's not, nay. And some definitions by example on either side of what the patriarchy is and isn't. And I thought who better to talk about than Will Noland and Michael Roblard, because you guys are both manly dudes and all of us are patriarchy lovers. Well, how can you not be? There's uh, <laughs> never been any society except patriarchy. There's no matriarchy on record in all of human history, despite the myths put out to the contrary there's no evidence in archaeology or anthropology of a single matriarchy so we need to ask why this is that's a good point yeah they, they you know they try to sell you on certain ideas from like ancient egypt and and you know even sometimes ancient greece and rome it's like hold the phone no there's no such thing as a matriarchy notwithstanding the desires of some of the uh, feminists of the 1970s, like uh, Kate and Mallory Millett, wanted a matriarchy. It's a, it's a circular square. There is no power of women patriarchs. There's no such thing. But I, I tell you what, this is cool. A, a cool opportunity because, of course, Mike is my, God bless you, little penny. Uh, Mike <laughs> is my co-author. on. I, I, I had a seventh kid in between last time I saw you well and now, so I pulled ahead by one. I'm now, I'm now ahead <laughs> by one bucket. If you want to beat me, you got to have twins. So it's like trading buckets in an NBA game where you go up by twos. Uh, seven, six by my count. No, but it's cool that, that Mike can be here because yesterday we did, a, we did a show with our publisher who was at my house for a little visit on one of the articles we're working on, which is the case for national divorce. And today we get to, you know, work some on, on patriarchy. And, you know, you have this interesting theory that we're going to be working up into a, another 
patriarch, another article. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if, I don't know if you wanted to introduce that, but I think it cues up the ideas nicely. There are basically three patriarchies now, and two of them are false. There's only one true one. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. The, I mean, the, the phrase that keeps coming to mind uh, that was first introduced to me by my friend, Tom Simpson, uh, who's a uh, Anglican uh, Oxford professor and former Royal Marine at Oxford is this, uh, this idea of faith family flag. And I think it, that, ha that concept, it, it really does embody the idea of the patriarchy at all levels, right? For, from our orientation to the transcendent, to the family, and then families in aggregate, uh, you have a nation. And that, that is like the, the backbone of all those things is patriarchy. And that, that's it's virtuous patriarchy. Feminism, when taken to its logical extreme now, has now essentially run into a dead end. And it's forced to deal with three patriarchies it has to choose from. Either the benevolent, correct Christian patriarchy, Catholic patriarchy, uh, Islam, or uh, transgenderism. Some, some dude in a dress saying that uh, he's now a woman. So th those are the patriarchies that feminism, that's the cul-de-sac that feminism has now arrived at. Yeah, tra uh, so tra trans is the patriarchy strikes back. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It's the upside down patriarchy, but patriarchy nonetheless in some weird form. Yeah. yeah and it's all because I would just uh, to to wed, uh, no pun intended, uh, no homo, to wed the points that Will and Mike made. It's because there's no such thing as a matriarchy that feminism, which attempted to reify some sort of imagined matriarchy, it still has to pick between the bona fide patriarchy, well, the aggressive, perverted, inverted patriarchy, uh, which, is, which is Islam, and then <laughs> trans, which is the subverted, you know, anti-sex patriarchy. But it's still a patriarchy because it's still a bunch of dudes, weaponized gender dysphorics running around claiming to be chicks and to assert authority, which is where you get the A-R-C-H, the archy in patriarchy. So I, I think it's an interesting wedding of your guys' points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you come back to the basics of what the word means etymologically, it's literally rule by fathers. And that's why the root of it is the family. And the reason there's never been a matriarchy is that the family is a natural society or a natural institution. So all these questions about whether or not patriarchy is socially constructed are misconceived right from the outset because society itself is natural to human beings. So that's where patriarchy ultimately comes from. It's a natural institution and the authority that men have within the family is that rule by fathers. I don't think men have authority over women just in the abstract. It's the father specifically having the authority to rule the family for the common good of the family. That's a great point. That's, and, and that's the key distinguisher for our show today, which is really about parsing what is a patriarchy, what is uh, what, what Aristotle would have called one of the similitudes for patriarchy, which is why we're going to be talking about Andrew Tate who's in the news a lot, but it has to do with the family. Like when a, a, a bride gets married and she is walked down the aisle by her father, which is a, a dead letter 
of an art form because everyone's feminist, right? But what's happening is the father, who is the patriarch, who holds legal and moral sway uh, in most but not always over his daughter, he's transferring that to the next patriarch that will now have husbandly legal and moral sway over her, right? Where I think just because you said this point so strongly, well, let's just come right out of the gate and say, although Andrew Tate, who was on Tucker recently, who was on the Fresh and Fit podcast, who represents a very similar worldview to him, uh, Zuby had the Fresh and Fit podcast and they were talking about Andrew Tate. Everyone's talking about it. He's got maybe 75, 80% of the correct view of patriarchy without the final 20 or 25% of it, such that he knows enough to repudiate feminists and womanism, but he doesn't know enough to get it all the way correct. And I, I was saying to Mike, as we ate our tuna subs, it's one of those things where 80% cooked is is 100% undone. And, and Mike's like, what did you say? It's like a somersault or a backflip. It's backflip, like, yeah. if you don't get all the way around, <laughs> you're going to break your neck, bro. And you're going to look like an idiot if you try to do it on stage. So that, so I, I think that's why we need to talk about it. I think this may be one of topically substantially, one of the most important podcasts I've ever done. And, and I don't say that very often. I'm not that sanctimonious because of the tremendous natural allure of men who are cuckolded and emasculated at every turn in today's feminist society, they're flocking to Fresh and Fit podcasts. They're flocking to Andrew Tate. They're flocking to um, the environs that that Zuby uh, recently entertained when he he interviewed with Fresh and Fit. And they're thinking that this is the foil to feminism. And we're like, look, you're not a patriarch unless you're at least one of these three. And even two of these three are just similitudes. You have to be a father to gain that control or you have to take the bride to gain uh, a kind of righteous rightful control over your girlfriend you don't hold that kind of sway over your girlfriend just by being a man yeah you you don't have a a right as an individual man just considered atomalistically to have authority over women that makes no sense the the right derives from the society of the family and it's ultimately rooted in that common good of trying to for a christian this is about natural law but if we look at it in a christian perspective get your wife and kids to heaven that's the path you've got them on you're leading them along natural law patriarchy is rooted in that too grace just builds on nature natural law it's about provision procreation and protection so the children have a right to all those things from both parents specifically the father and if you look at why someone like um j.s mill for example one of the famous liberal philosophers wondered why is it that men are in power he didn't like the fact and he was scratching his head what could it be the best he came up with was men are physically stronger and that's hard to dispute, especially in terms of upper body mass and strength. Look at the fact that no country has ever conscripted women into frontline combat, and let's hope no country ever does. Men seem to have something biologically that's suited to the protector role, and that isn't about being a soldier, essentially. It's about being a father and caring for the pregnant woman and caring for the infants. So that strength that men have 
its purpose is for the family ultimately. And being a man is about being a potential father. That's the essence of manhood. And these people who are trying to discover that and bring it to fulfillment outside the context of the family, it's a dead end. And it ends in all kinds of distortions like you've described. Beautiful. So why, I think, I think you two might know more about Andrew Tate than me, Mike, you want to, why has Andrew Tate been in the news so much lately? Can you just, cause a lot of my, my Catholic viewers might not know who in the hell he is. Who is Andrew Tate? Why was he on Tucker three weeks ago? Wh who is fresh and fit? A uh, very, very popular podcast with young men. I, I would even extend this to uh, what's his face Schmucko at, at Barstool Sports. You know Dave Portnoy. Mm. These guys represent a strong, burgeoning contingent of the intellectual dark web. If it, if you go really dark, depending on how dark you're willing to go, mm -hmm. unenlightened intellectual dark web, and lots of young men are subscribing to them, and they have. Maybe not Portnoy, but the, these latter two have 75% of the right ideas, but a critical missing 25% that uh, will lead to actual abuse. So who who are these guys for the audience? So, I mean, t talking in broad brushstrokes, I would say the, these folks all represent you know, various versions. Some might refer to the manosphere or the red pill or you know some fringes of the, the pickup artist uh, community that I've shamefully uh, had my years cutting through. Um, but they broadly represent at least a negative thesis of anti-feminism. So, but then that can splinter off into all sorts of, uh, versions that, that are, uh, wrongheaded and, and disordered. Uh, Tate in particular was like a, a kickboxing champ in Europe, I believe, and an, a successful entrepreneur and businessman. Uh, but he's wedded that with the red pill, uh, men should be as promiscuous and, um, you know, create harems uh, of women in order to attract other women. And that like that model, I guess, you know, it, it, it attracts a lot of men that are struggling with finding uh, a partner. The problem, though, with that, obviously, it's like, I mean, disordered in all sorts of ways on a, a Christian Aristotelian view. But just more practically, if you have somebody who's overfishing the pond and then encouraging everybody else to overfish the pond, at some point, the pond's ecosystem is going to run out. But then it's it's Tate and Fresh and Fit and all these other folks, they complain. They go, um, well, Western Western society, Western civilization is crumbling. Um, Tate's even praised uh, Islam as uh, a corrective. And it's like, well, you can't have it both ways. You can't tell men to be hyper promiscuous harem creators and then worry about the collapse of the Western family and Western civilization. It's like, it's one or the other it, it's build strong families um, or suffer the suffer civilizational collapse. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Will. And the reason for that is that the family is the ultimate foundation of the temporal Commonwealth. That's the big building block. It's not just individuals. It's the family. And unless we're building that, then society is going to be crumbling, which is what Marx and the other radicals knew so well. Amen. Yeah, th there's there's a distinction that needs to be made. I, I think you made it really well, but I want to make it really plain and clear. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the family is called the single cell and the original cell in other places. Single cell, original cell, 
of society, which is to say the patriarchy. The patriarchy was is another name for natural family, a man headed. I'm not talking about the Bible now. I'm talking about according to the book of nature, men head families. Women are the uh, helpers uh, who help men to run their families. And this is called the single original cell of society by the Catholic catechism because this is the power structure, the, the primordial power structure uh, with which all society begins. It begins and in a certain sense ends is the alpha and the omega of, of civil society. And even though, so, so you made that distinction really nicely to, to start out well, and that's really important to parse in Andrew Tate or a Fresh and Fit or a Dave Portnoy who are just, they say good stuff that you're cheering for against feminism, but then they, they bite on the hook of sexual promiscuity. They don't take the off-ramp from the feminist highway which is weaponized chastity. I call it weaponized chastity. It's like, look, if you want to fight the feminist, you have to be chased. In, in, in a marital context, being chased means you're monogamous with your wife. In a premarital context, it means you're celibate. Chastity doesn't always mean celibacy, but it, it means that before you get married. And so, so the family is natural and supernatural. It's pre-sacramental and sacramental, all that stuff, right? And, and you made this distinction really nicely, Will. But some guys out there, maybe, maybe if Andrew Tate watched this or Fresh and Fit or Dave Portnoy, they'd be like, well, are you guys violating your own commitment here by saying that in order to acknowledge the natural distinctions, particularly anatomical uh, anatomical distinctions between men and women, you have to be married? And the question is no, no, of course. There are anatomical and functional distinctions that arise out of the anatomical ones that a man notes with every girl or his girlfriend. And, and, and that does strongly insinuate, if we're judging by formal and final causes, that he is ordered, he was crafted toward ordered leadership of a family. But he doesn't get to exercise that, that arche, that power, until he enters into marital union. And that, that you made the point really nicely. I just want to make that really clear. That's the primary reason why guys like Andrew Tate, who just brags about, he brags about representing traditional masculine virtues, not unless you're saying what we're saying. And he brags about having a beautiful girlfriend. Okay, well, if you want the kind of lordly, virtuous, natural and supernatural dominion, you know, where you're, you're really a servant of her in a way, but you do give the orders, then you have to get married. You have to marry that beautiful girlfriend of yours, Andrew Tate. I'm reminded, I'm also thinking about that, that famous Chesterton quote where he says uh, that sexual freedom is the, the, the easiest like lie of tyranny or something like this. You know that's what I'm talking right. about? Yeah, I yeah. do know that one. I don't right, and, that and that's, you know, so when we're talking about this and we're talking about the collapse of, of the nuclear family and the collapse of civilization that comes from that, it's not... It's not merely a danger of collapsing into a Mad Max type world because there's probably there's probably some men that are like, oh man, that's Prepper's Paradise. I, I'd be I'd be even better in that situation. Bring it on, baby. Yeah. In in greater likelihood, it is the fueling of the of the new world order of the the overarching megastate where you're being policed by by the LGBT cops by 
uh, anybody who is the least bit offended by uh, you saying anything true. So a lot of folks who are fans of liberty and free speech and, and free thought and the ability to say true things, uh, it's not helping your cause at all by promoting, by being promiscuous or promoting promiscuity because it's, it's lending, it's lending direct fuel to the very, uh, the pernicious totalitarian state that you're worried about. And the greatest defense against that is the family. Yeah, that's it. The, the, the family is the, the final bulwark against that for the reasons that Tim was saying about it being the, the fundamental cell of society. But I would say that the bit that Tate and co are missing is actually necessary to have to have patriarchy at all. It doesn't matter if you've got 90% of the rest of it. If you haven't got that literal rule of fathers, what the word actually means, then you may as well have none. And they are radicals in the sense that they are promoting this myth of promiscuity, which there's no evidence for as a widespread stage at any point in human history. Think what alpha males will have done to men trying to fornicate with their daughters, for example. That's the kind of thing that the exact guys, Tate and others described themselves as, would have taken a very dim view of. Men coming around their daughters, not married to them, trying to fornicate with them. That kind of thing isn't tolerated. And they also, in the past, pointing to people with multiple wives. Well, guess what? Those guys are married. Multiple wives, polygony, and many human societies have functioned on that model. They're still married. That's not a free-for-all. It's not just fornication and promiscuity. So what we've got now is totally different. Not only is it not Christian monogamy to becoming one flesh, it's not even polygamy, one man, multiple wives. It's just one guy, and it's worse than a harem. It's just going to the club, picking people up, pump and dump, leave them. A sultan with a harem of 600 women who get ejected when they hit age 30, as they used to do, he's taking more care of the women. He's got more responsibility providing for them, protecting for them than some guy who just takes a few photos of them in a Bugatti and then moves on to the next one, or even worse, puts them on a webcam. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. I mean, not, not that we're endorsing it. We're, we're all endorsers of the one true patriarchy, Roman Catholicism and all of the, the moral requisites that stem right from, I don't know, what is it? Eight places in, in uh, the new Testament where St. Paul is saying men must be in charge. They must be in charge of the family. And they, they do have absolute authority, but they must be servant kings. That's the one true patriarchy. But Islam comes up again and again and again and again as a semi-patriarchy, or at least like we called it before, a, a, you know, a, a, cop, a, a carbon, not a carbon copy, I guess a cheap copy of, of patriarchy, doesn't it? I mean, Tate talks about it. You get references from from all of the, the the based manosphere guys to Islam. I think Tate 
this time of the year last year was like men should travel in packs you know islam islam's based because men still travel in like gangs like yeah we we three have a little gang here and that's a much better way to travel around the city if you walk in to use mike's old example a coffee shop it better you want to travel with some dudes that are watching your back that that know what's up that'll that'll watch your six as as they say in the military but I guess I guess the second big distinction I would make, and these aren't really ordered because this is just a conversation, but um, it's worth noting that even when we're talking about that similitude, the kind of pseudo patriarchy of Islam and the polygamy that's often associated with it. Yeah, Will, your point's well taken. You know what Aquinas says about polygamy? He says it actually for it doesn't violate the natural law. This is why the Old Testament is written the way it is. The first part of the Old Testament, it violates the supernatural law. This is a you know deuterocanonical thing. It violates the supernatural law after Jesus, but and even before Jesus's time. But in the old Old Testament, it's not a violation of natural law for a man to have a harem because he still is in the most primordial ways taking care of those women. And therefore, he has some sort of headship that is not imagined. The headship of a boyfriend over a girlfriend is purely imagined. Have you guys ever thought about this paradox of modern society? I mean, just just I'm just throwing something out there to swing at that, that I think illustrates Will's point. As society became smuttier throughout the 20th century, dating became more of an institution. You know, like, like some of the sleaziest guys and girls in my high school that were known for sleeping around the most would go, well, are you a couple? Are you a member of a couple or are you single? Single means you're not married. Um, but so there's a reification that that's very counterintuitive. There's a reification of the boyfriend and girlfriend that happened when society got sleazier. So I actually knew some friends in high school that filled out a tax form wrong at their first job. They thought they were not single because they managed to have a steady girlfriend. Whereas if you watch Jane Austen, you know, best female writer of all time, uh, hands down, it's all about, yeah, be courted by multiple people at once. It's not sleazy at all. It's all very appropriate, but you're, you're sampling. The, think of how healthy it is for a young woman in the appropriate context with maybe a chaperone or just where you're talking and exchanging ideas in a parlor, uh, truly being courted. For, think of how healthy it is to the male psyche and to the female psyche to not be considered a couple, to not be considered locked down. Men like competition. So if they know that, I don't know, if Colonel Brandon knows that, what's the other guy's name in uh, Sense and Sensibility? Willoughby is coming over soon, right? He, it, it makes him shape up his game. He's going to do some extra push-ups before he goes over. Whereas if that man thinks, oh, I've got it locked up, we're a couple, it, it, it makes him complacent in all sorts of ways. And it makes the women complacent in all sorts of ways too. And this is how you get the six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year couple that's unmarried. And, and it also produces these false notions that you're talking about. Well, of I can be a patriarch. I've got a girlfriend or a couple girlfriends. You thought about that? Yeah. There's a, a book by a scholar called JD Unwin name was sex and culture. And he studied what happens to societies when sexual regulations change. And he said that what all the three 
greatest civilizations have in common, the three greatest empires, British, Roman, Athenian, is all strict prenuptial chastity. And then after marriage, it's strict monogamy. And he was puzzling about why this might be. And watching what happens when those restrictions get relaxed, he saw that men lose motivation to step up. So the more easily men can get sex, which for most men is the biggest motivator in life. Why do most men put themselves through education? Why do they work demanding careers, etc.? It's to be able to get money, to be able to provide for families and fulfill that role. And if they are managing to get sex too easily, then what's the point? Why contribute as much to society? They haven't got that motivation to push themselves. And I think a lot of what we see now is as a result of men getting sex too easily. And people describe feminism as female escape from male provisioning. But the other angle on that is it's male escape from male provisioning. It's an attempt to get pleasure without duty, without responsibility. And that's an attractive thing to try to rationalize. Fornication is always an attractive thing to try to rationalize because you get the fun without any of the difficulty. And I think that's why ultimately the men have become boys in that sense. Tate and others are boys. Yeah. Yeah. And, and think of Portnoy too. Like both Portnoy with Barstool Sports, I'm not sure if you have that, if you know of that in, in the UK well, but he's similar in a lot of ways. Portnoy was saying a lot of based and red-pilled things during COVID. Said a lot of good stuff. Like, this is ridiculous. Get the face diaper off of your face. Andrew Tate said a lot of based and red-pilled things during COVID. He said he said something amazingly simplistic and profound on Tucker when he went on three weeks ago. He was like, do you understand the cognitive dissonance that that the folks that were true COVID believers are walking around with now two, two and a half years later? COVID walks and breathes and lives among us, same as it ever did. No, we just we just got it. We got the Matt Frad family COVID. <laughs> um, it's it's not bad. Right. It's not any worse than it ever was. It's not any better than it ever was. So all of the 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 uh, true believers in COVID that were walking around petrified for two years for all of 20 and 21 are now just getting. Oh, we can come out of our homes again, but they're not connecting the dots. This is what Tate said. They're not connecting the dots that the, the disease or whatever that the house cold hasn't changed. The common cold hasn't changed at all. I have to change. But all of the people are emerging from their homes without making this connection. That's a, that's that's the sort of natural, you know, the article of natural reason that that Tate is espousing. And he, so he's a pretty sharp cat in a lot of ways. He's not he's not a scholar, but he's a sharp cat. And that's a really good point. And he makes a lot of great one-liners against feminism and a lot of natural, naturally forceful propositions about masculinity. But 80% of a somersault isn't a somersault and you're going to look stupid and break your neck. Yeah, yeah. I think another dot, set of dots here to connect is that a, a lot of folks in the, the red pill community, the, the Tate sort of followers, are they're downstream from even 
a, a more fundamental fissure within the Western mind where they've inherited essentially what I think is a fundamentally incoherent set of commitments to Lockean classical liberalism on one hand, and then uh, like an atheist Darwin materialism on the other hand. And right. it's, 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 that's actually humming in the background of even the, 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 the red pill philosophy, so to speak. And then peering through, through all, all that, 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 uh, that shattered kaleidoscopic lens is this light of truth that is saying, well, something about the present situation is wrong. What is it? And you're seeing a lot of, like I said, a lot of a negative thesis against feminism. But what, what is the positive thing that people are apprehending amongst all of this confusion? And I think what it is amongst other things, and this is what Will and I have talked about, is that the, the anthropology of man that was part of the Aristotomas tradition uh, of the human person being fundamentally uh, social and fundamentally part of a, a familial uh, unit that is totally lost once we inhabit this this classical enlightenment view of of, of the atomized Lockean individual just floating in space and then everything is my rights my rights my rights and what we see feminism is just and now trans and LGBT plus it's this un uncoupled rights claims from from a flawed metaphysics that's right. That's right. Yeah, we don't even know what a right is anymore. Can you point to your rights? How many do you have? How much do they weigh? Right? I thought we're we're, we're logical positivists here, right? We're well, aren't we being scientific? So you know, all the all the science folks suddenly, human rights, workers' rights, trans. What are rights? Do whatever you want. If uh, right. if scientism is true, right? Yeah. What's the what's the quanta? Well, in a way, we're even wrestling with it here. Um, when when you get the assertion. The reasonable assertion of masculinity under the auspices of male rights from a non-patriarch. That's kind of what we're talking about here. And it's the Andrew Tate pseudo right of, hey, you have right to women. Or, or I don't know. I'm not sure if he borrows that language, but he is doing the modern thing. That's kind of what we're saying here today, which is to reify out of thin air, ex nihilo, a rights claim. And just to say something that makes sense and then rubber stamp it, that is a use. That's a right. That's out of the natural rights tradition. It's a more reasonable right than the right to lop off your genitals and to have all of the world indexically shift and call you a a dude or a chick if you're the opposite. It's a more reasonable thing, but it's still not a right. Rights are very minimal when when we define what actually comes from God. For Thomas, strictly speaking, property is like a very uh, inferential short stone's throw away from a, a natural right. It's really only life and liberty, you know, properties required by it. But so the, you're right to say they are totally, totally limited. What qualifies as a right? A right to health care? What do you mean? What a right to quality health care? What a right to 100 years like the John Mayer song? What if you get, you know, elephantitis of the heart or something you you don't have a right to 100 years around you don't have a right to health care so even right wingers or based in red pilled folks whatever you want to say to characterize someone like tate they're even borrowing against the modernistic ex nihilo rights claims that was really begun by the feminists i would say it's, it's downstream from, from, from uh 
even more so than the feminines. Why? Just because Locke came prior, and, and he 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 sets up the the atomized individual person, the, the tabula rasa. True. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, and and in that sense, autonomy is for that tradition of liberalism the supreme good that all political battles are fought for to try to preserve. And I would actually push back on the idea that Tate is anti-feminist. There's a sense in which he is feminist because he agrees with the fundamentals of the sexual revolution, which is sex outside marriage. Contraception is a big part of it as well. And that's what he is practicing. That's what he is promoting. So when you try to drill down to exactly what part of the sexual revolution do you disagree with, it's hard to see what it is. And what they have in common with the feminists proper is that the child is no longer the main point of sex. Sex you loses its natural order towards procreation. So fornication is going to harm the child because of illegitimacy, um, not being brought up by both parents, not being educated by both parents, not belonging to the family circle within the home. So it's bad because it's a denial of what's owed to the child. But by seeing yourself as just this atomized, autonomous individual, getting pleasure, doing your own thing, that's all you care about. You no longer see yourself as part of the society of the family. That's why sex outside marriage for them evidently is okay. And you see in the <laughs> the red pill uh, manosphere circles, the idea that marriage nowadays is somehow to be avoided. It's dangerous. They point to the divorce rate, et cetera. But you never see them also recommending celibacy. If you're not going to get married, guys, um, make sure you're celibate because that's what's good for the family. It's what's good for society. They say it works. The red pill works, but they ignore the evidence in the ghetto that it doesn't. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I suppose it, it's how broadly we define the the scope of the, the red pill, because, uh, you, you know, we're both familiar with the, the MGTOW splinter group, right, where it's men going their own way, where they they do accept that, that idea that, that celibacy is a good i mean maybe it's maybe the motivations behind it aren't of the same reasons but i think you there is a distinction there they, right yeah yeah they call it monk mode i think but i think that's a very uh small proportion of it i i haven't seen a a vocal part of the manosphere community saying that celibacy is important no they also sometimes call themselves volsels right mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and uh but it's, it's too small a part. Whereas the way that they could, the way that these folks could be one degree of separation closer to the truth would be to emphasize this point about voluntary celibacy. But even at that level, do we want to address MGTOW really fast? I mean, you still can't, you're not getting to be a patriarch. And a lot of this from me as, as a Catholic comes down to, the confusion that I think John Paul II created when he mixed it up with what counts as a vocation, right? What does God call you to? There is such a thing as, of course, the, the primary vocation is, you know, holy orders. 
a lot of trads go nuts if you say that that the married life is a calling. And I, I just, I've never understood that. It is absolutely a calling. It's the more common one than the priesthood, but it's still a calling. You, you're called either to the priesthood or to the married life. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no path to heaven for you if you are a 55-year-old guy who never met someone. That doesn't mean that at all. But it means that you are, in, in, in some sense, at least statistically aberrant, if you're 55 and still single, and you, you, it, it's still, you still might have hear the calling when you're 60. I, I know a, a guy that got married when he's 58, 59, so for the first time. So it, it just means once you play the PC game, which is what John Paul II did across the board, he confused everyone on feminism. He confused all the world at a CC2 in 1986 on Islam because he didn't want to offend anybody. And he confused all of the world on Okay, well, hey, I'm 55 over here. I don't think it's ever going to happen for me that I meet a woman. I never felt called to the priesthood. He just reified out of whole cloth, JP2 did. Well, there's that's a vocation too. It's like, no, no, no. That's, that's the second vocation type in waiting. There are only two sacramental vocations. And this is what I say to the MGTOW people. It's like, look, man, I think this is the positive aspect of today's show's message. The MGTOWs are operating on the same fallacy that a lot of the Andrew Tate hedonist guys are. Colon, what is that fallacy? Colon, that just because feminism messed up, it messed up men, but it really messed up women, encouraging them to not be virtuous in the univocal sense of the term, there, there must be no good women. It's like, no, they're just a little harder to find. You got to look. You got to get in there and scrap. If you don't feel called to the priesthood, most people don't, Get in there and scrap and find a good woman. Find the woman for you. It might take till you're 50. It might take till you're 60. It, but never give up the search. And if it never happens, it doesn't mean you don't go to heaven. It just meant that path didn't pan out uh, in, the, in the usual way. But it pans out if it gets you to heaven. You're still on the lay path. You're either a cleric or you're a lay. And I think John Paul II confused everyone. And I think the MGTOW people need to be told yeah, be celibate as long as you don't find a woman that you want to sacrifice it all for. Because like St. Paul teaches, that's what it is to be a patriarch, the householder. You, yeah, I will, at a moment's notice, sacrifice my life for my, my wife and kids. Until you find someone that really makes you want to do that, be celibate. And yeah, pass, pass. Don't, don't marry a girl you're so-so about. You marry a girl that, that you love. You're crazy in love or whatever. That's, that's what the MGTOWs need to hear, I think. Yeah. Well said. I, th I think I, I still have a lot of sympathy for the, the MGTOW movement insofar as it's a lot of men that are recognizing that, that a lot of the present divorce laws, uh, laws within just official legislation that are favoring feminism and now and now trans are oh, very much a one way ratchet. So they're choosing at the very least individually to opt out of giving any further legitimacy to this, you know, this set of institutional institutions and institutional momentum. The problem with that, though, is that in the long run, the system isn't isn't going to allow for that, right? A certain threshold of men opting out of society, the system will, will correct, and they'll have a bachelor tax, or there's this one feminist at Oxford, arguing for the right, the right to sex not liberty to sex, the entitlement to sex. So i.e. Re read, read that um, 
in, into law that eventually turns into sexual jury duty, right? Uh, so the point being is that feminism achieved its institutional and cultural successes by acting in co a collective in concert and agitating to ch change laws in their favors. Uh, men in ones and twos, just because they're pissed off, that's not enough. You need like a culture. You need a, a an entire worldview that is being defended and that, that men can link arms and act uh, in concert, in coordinated fashion with. Uh, so MGTOW, I think it's, it's still... I understand what it's doing, but I think it's going to be short-lived. And I think it's, it's once again, it's, it's a symptom uh, that's not addressing fundamental problems. Yeah. And the fundamental problem is, is yeah, is, is breaking away from God. Ultimately, that's the root of it, isn't it? And I would say that in many forms, Mugtau is also a species of cowardice too. The idea that they have got the calculators out and crunched the numbers and figured out there's a risk to marriage that they might have x percentage risk of divorce and that means that they can't possibly um, try that life but marriage is the battlefield on which society is going to be won ultimately the destruction of the family has been the main form of attack on it and rebuilding it and there will be casualties, even if men do everything they can to minimize the risk, there will be casualties like in any war, but you just have to keep your eyes about you and then seek good advice and go into it knowing that you're doing the right thing. And that is what being a man has always involved historically. You're not supposed to have an easy life. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, yeah, I bang on. Well, it's like, you got your calculators out and you're looking at the annuities and, and you're looking like a, like a tax adjuster or an insurance adjuster. Like, well, there's, the, that's no fun, right? You know, if you're trying to, you don't want to, you don't want to hang out with the dude from the life insurance company, like along came Polly where you're like, Hey, you want to go shoot baskets? He's like, did you know there's a one in 423 <laughs> chance of a branch falling you in the head, falling and hitting you in the head. It's like, no man, one life to live in that sense. MGTOW, men going their own way, being celibate, I can respect it from a moral perspective, but from an ontological and uh, even an ecclesiological perspective, I, I don't get it. It's a vision without a future. It is quite literally that in aggregate, it's the death of society if, gonna, if the family's the cell. I was going to say, it's, it's walking nihilism, essentially. You know, yeah. It really is. Uh, there is. There's no end to it. There's no telos. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's I, just not sleazy. It's not right. Sleazy. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just yeah. It's which is which can, which is not nothing, right? It's not. We're, we're saying it's not nothing. It's just like, what what is it? I don't know what it. I, I know it's not sleazy, but uh, so there's this point that Andrew Tate makes that is attractive to you and you. I'm pointing at the camera as if your name is Canon EOS. Well, but you will, Michael, me, all manly dudes. Dudes in general, we like to embrace that a man's life is designed to be hard. One of the attractive nuisances of the Andrew Tate gospel, if I can call it that. He, he says this time and time again, a man's life is supposed to be hard. You know, let, you know, let a man be a man. Yes, we, that's true. Part of a man's life being hard, I think it's Tolkien's letter to his son, number 41, 
stems from the, the natural bounded hardship of the married life for men. Tolkien's letter number, I believe it's 41 to his son, says, um, look, there will always be a certain suffering with monogamy because of what Aquinas says about uh, polygamy not actually technically violating the natural law. Men are wired to their eyes. And even if you're, you know, just absolutely crazy in love with your wife or just feel, you know, you, you just married the best person for you and you're not the kind of person that's deluding yourself. That's, that's how I feel. Will, I know that's, that's how you feel. Like you're still going to, your life is going to be attended by some suffering. Tolkien says this beautifully, I believe in letter number 41 to his son. You, you have it there. Thank you, Stevi. He said, now listen to this, just listen to this. And this speaks to Andrew Tate's point and then gets it even more than Andrew Tate. Uh, Faithfulness in Christian marriage entails that great mortification. No man, however truly loved as betrothed and bride as a young man, has lived faithful to her as a wife in mind and body without deliberate conscience, conscious exercise of the will, without self-denial. When the glamour wears off or merely works a bit thin, they think they have made a mistake and that the real soulmate is still to find. But the real soulmate is the one that you're actually married to. Is that not? That's letter 43, actually, not 41. That's beautiful, isn't it? And that's the kind of hardship that Andrew Tate and Dave Portnoy and Sleazy Fresh and Fit, and now I guess Zuby, disappointingly, yeah. are, are saying that they, they like the male hardship, but they're fleeing from that hardship. Yeah, the, the hardship of chastity is too difficult you can go to the gym and you can pump your muscles up but you don't actually have a spine when it comes to proper virtue and i think there's a sense in which you've got machismo being promoted and tate's message is in my opinion very similar to what has wreaked such havoc in the black community in the ghetto because Tate is basically like a rapper in terms of the lifestyle he promotes the sports cars and he's got all his hoes in the harem and people look up to that and think this looks glamorous but then when you dig beneath it and think what's happening here in terms of male authority what's happening here in wider social consequences is very much the same as the phenomenon of fatherlessness in the ghetto. And that's exactly Aquinas's point about why multiple wives isn't contrary to natural law because the kids know who their father is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The kids know who the father is. He can head the household. It's not ideal because there's no equality between the wives and the husband. His attention to them is very different from theirs to him because there's many of them, one of him, whereas his is divided. So that's why it's bad for that reason but the kids know who the father is. Yeah, yeah. I, I, as the, I guess at this point in time anyway, the first patriarch in all of, not maybe not Christendom, because the Calvinists have, a, a, in some ways, their heads on a lot tighter in, in more sensible way about the patriarchy than most Catholics. But at this point, 2022, I, I guess I'm the main guy associated with writing 
about the case for patriarchy. And I can hear all of my foes, especially after the stir Matt Frad created last week over really a tempest in a teapot, not even anything half as controversial as what we're talking about. I can hear them all taking sound bites from today's show with me uh, and I uh, quoting Aquinas and Will uh, hammering the point home repeatedly about, you know, you know, harems and polygamy not violating the natural law. That's that's technically speaking. And yes, it's absolutely technically speaking defensible. But Aquinas says for us Christians and, and what Tolkien says beautifully here, it violates the supernatural law to not do so. We're just saying that it's l- far less messed up to violate the supernatural law, but not the natural law, than it is to violate both the supernatural law and the natural law. And that's the distinction that, Will, you keep coming back to about better to know who your father is and to be cared for him in some sort of weird, weird polygamist Mormon or Muslim way than to not know your father at all. And that's what really is being generated. I didn't think about this too often until a certain Seinfeld episode when I was young. I was always anti-abortion. But there's a weird Seinfeld where Jerry and Kramer, who each go around betting as many women as they can, they say, uh, Jerry goes, have you ever slipped one past the goalie? And Kramer says something. And then Kramer says, uh, gives the answer and says, well, how about you? And Jerry goes, oh, no, that goes with me to the grave. And it settled on me then, even though I wasn't nearly as Catholic then as now. I was just as anti-abortion. I was like... <laughs> To separate sex from procreation means that guys that do this at a high enough catch rate to be in the, you know, the, the triple digits, they're definitely taking on board the statistical one in 50 of abortion. You know, if you're, if you're sleeping with one, two, 300 women, you are definitely abortion is a part of your life, whether you know it or not. And so, and I mean, or, or just a woman that you had a one-time liaison with having a kid and not telling you, this is another phenomenon that, that, that instantiates Will's point and Aquinas's point that it's like, well, it's better to know your father, even in some polygamist situation that violates the supernatural law, but not natural reason than, than the alternative. So I, I just want to say that because I know my enemies are watching this show, you know, particularly this week of all weeks, um, it's worth putting that out there. No backing off, but here's an explanation for the point, stipulation to the point. Yeah, I think I could just, just the only thing I can really add to, to this branch of the, the conversation is I was thinking that like, what what is it that's appealing to men about the the hardcore rapper lifestyle? Like that you said that, that Tate's sort of embodying or that a lot of the red pill guys are embodying. Or why is it that the the, the neo pagan folks uh, like Jack Donovan uh, are are getting a lot of traction? Or why is it that Islam is recruiting a lot of men? And I think it's in the past, or at least what our generation grew up with, is that what you refer to as, as Ned Flanders Catholicism, right? Yeah. Is that the the example of of the emasculated, hyper feminized, sex egalitarian father figure was the example for so many of us growing up in uh in in the homes in in the 80s 90s 2000s when so when you look at that and you go oh that's marriage or i can i can be a a baller with the hose and and the the gang and the cars 
I mean, it's easily clear what's more ma masculine, even though it's a, a, a pernicious masculinity. So what I think, obviously, what you guys both represent and, and why I've, I've sought your writings and, and your, uh, your thinking so much is that you guys represent, I think, a, a return to what a, a proper, proper patriarchal Catholicism looks like. Yeah, and Will's, it's not Ned Flanders. Catholicism. No, no. What Will's saying, what I'm saying is the true red pill. Let me just say this. What guys like Will and me with lots of kids and, and a wife that we love dearly. That's the true red pill. And we're not trying to say it like a gangster rap. But I, I want to point something out, Mike. You said you put scare quotes on between a, a henpecked, cuckolded, emasculated husband that's not acting like a husband and andrew tate what's more masculine andrew tate yeah we're, we're saying yeah. that but we're saying don't be andrew tate there's a a, a middle way a sim well i i, I was going to pitch my uh, i was going to pitch a middle way here but i don't want people to associate the two middle ways i'm talking about because it would be false and it would be insulting i uh, the second middle way that's distinguishable is you have andrew tate on one hand saying bed lots of women women should be virtuous but they're not going to be so spoil them men i mean be them uh pillage and plunder that's just not wrong that's just not right um but then on the other hand you have the catholic world and catholic influencers i i'm, I'm a part of that but i have my hand in all this other stuff i don't even know if these other catholic podcasters know who andrew tate is or dave portnoy they're they're pretty big so they should have heard of them but i don't know if they have anything to say there but like i'll just say on the other end of the spectrum that's that's i think 80 percent of the way there to the truth on the other side of guy a guy like will noland or or myself is like matt frad a, a good dude a, a very good dude who got in trouble last week for saying female comedians aren't funny this is not controversial that's just everyone already knows that the Everyone knows that that's that's just natural reason 101. But Matt and Matt, you know, it's just super obvious. Uh, but but Matt did get uh, he's and he's a really good dude. But he got uncomfortable when I said some really obvious, undeniable things that I think are about as obvious and undeniable as female comedians aren't funny. When I was on his show, he got some flack for it. And he's just he's a really nice man. But it's like you're 80 percent of the way there on this side. Uh Andrew Tate's, I don't know, maybe not 80, 70% of the way there on this side. But the difference is if you err toward the Christian side, at least you're not incurring mortal sin. Mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think even other faithful, goodly Catholic influencers are red-pilled on the sexes. I don't think they can read the New Testament with all due respect, all, as much as I like these people. I don't think you can read the New Testament for where's that patriarchy cup stuff that we have here with all of the we have like a circle with all of the saint paul inerrant scriptures is like first corinthians first timothy titus uh, obviously uh, uh ephesians 5 and there are many more i can't think of them all offhand we have them all just scrolled around the actual uh call numbers of the scripture i don't think most even faithful right wing some even trad catholic commentators can read through straight facedly without screwing up their mouth or getting uncomfortable or tugging at their collar, the new Testament, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So all we're saying, or what I, what I like about you, Will, 
is all you're saying is like, look, do it to the hilt. Be a man, be a good man, be a patriarchy, be a patriarch, be a lordly king, serve your wife and kids, but absolutely, you're absolutely in charge. And I, I'll bet you, I would bet you money that as a teacher for many years at an all boys school, Will, you have the same experience I would have with my male students, even though the school I taught at was co-ed. Steph would bring the kids to our like field day or other days. And she looks pretty. She's wearing a, a dress. She's there to help me. She's laughing at my jokes. She even gave a presentation or two to the girls in my class on this. You know, she's just, it's just lovely. The married life is lovely. And all the dude, the boy students would come up to me and they're like, I just didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know this was an option. Mm -hmm. Marriage has been bespoiled by the, the perverted form of it, which exists within most of the Catholic world and even a lot of the Protestant world, a little less the Protestant world. The Calvinists have a good idea about this. Um, but they're the Ned Flanders emasculated wimp whose wife henpecks him and runs him. That's a horrible life. Go check Sirach book uh, chapter 25 on this wife. Sirach 25 has more stark things to say that would make these guys tug at the collars harder than St. Paul's writings. Do you have Sirach? I have that, that thing where he compiled all of those forever verses. That yeah, here's St. Paul. I mean, just think of this. Think of this. The husband is the head of the wife, Ephesians 5. The woman being made for the man and not the man for the woman, 1 Corinthians. Therefore, the woman is not to usurp authority over the man, 1 Timothy, which is why there shouldn't be female doctors in the church. That means teacher. They're not permitted to teach men, but to be obedient, Titans, Titan chapter 2 um, and 1 Peter, submitting herself, Corinthians 3, with reverence, Ephesians, in subjection to her husband, 1 Peter, while the husband is to love his wife as his own body, Ephesians 5, verse 28, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, Ephesians 5, chapter 25. And he is especially to honor his wife because of her weakness, not a strong woman, that's not a good woman, because of her weakness and dependence, 1 Peter, chapter 3. That is holy writ. And how many other Catholics do I even know besides you two dudes that you could read that and they're not uncomfortable? What do you say, Will? What you've just read out there is the thing that this is even more controversial. Ultimately, women want. They don't respect a weak man Amen. in the red pill spheres. They call it a, uh, a shit test. So deliberately testing to see whether the man can actually withstand a bit of pressure. Is he going to push back and maintain boundaries or not if so then you don't even dislike them you just pity them it's just a failure because what women want is to be led and it comes back to the point about natural law that we were making earlier so that's why michael's point about the bad boy being preferable to the soy boy is spot on because yeah. they would rather have the excess than an insufficiency so Tate, for example, or similar guys, you also have the phenomenon of Western women going abroad to seek out uh, ISIS fighters because they find them attractive, because they see this, what they perceive as hyper-masculinity that they can't get from the men at home. So they'll go to the other extreme. 
rather than to the soy boy extreme because that's deep down what they crave. Up here, that's exactly 100% correct. I talk about this all the time that women nowadays, what they do is they marry the soy boys because at first they think it's really interesting when a guy gives you everything you want and agrees with everything you say. And then what happens? They get upset and, and cranky because they, they, they ultimately want the alpha. And so they start bad mouthing their husbands, being disrespectful, disobedient, all that, because they should have just married the alpha that they obviously wanted at the beginning. Yeah. yeah and, to, and to be clear, those guys deserve it. If, if you are weak, you, you yeah. deserve to be henpecked because she shouldn't submit to you. If, if you have a flaw in your character that makes you weak like that, then you're going to get what you deserve. Well, I, I, I'd be careful. For my part, I wouldn't say deserve. I would say, look, it is it is holy writ that a wife has to obey her husband. So I, I could never go that far, but I get what you're saying. According to the natural causal apparatus, whereby a weak leader probably will never be followed. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's you know, it. But 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 yeah, deserve. Even if you have a weak husband, ladies somehow he just has to figure it out. And if he does give you an order, you got to follow it. But I, I, I get what you're saying, uh, Will. And um, I would just, I would point this out. This is all I said on Matt Frad's show, whatever it was on the Matt Frad show, show number eight. It was heard around the world, created a big stink. All I was really saying is what Steph, Mike, and Will just said in mashup form which is that I forget who said this, what a man really wants. Andrew Tate, I defy you to, to, to defy this. What a man really wants is a good girl to be bad, sometimes foreign with him. And by bad, we don't, we don't mean necessarily immoral. You know what I mean? A good girl to be bad for him. And all a girl wants is a bad boy to be good for her, foreign to her. That's like... That's not holy writ, but that's got to be close because that is the fundamental human condition. Men want a virtuous girl that that will, will, will yeah, lets her hair down with him. To, that's to put it in the G terms, you know, the G-rated terms, and and a girl wants a dude that's tough, that's got muscles, that can get a little cranky, that stands on his own. Remember, remember in the Shia LaBeouf interview, he said like. I just I thought John the Baptist was cooler than Jesus for a while because Jesus was pitched to me as just a guy who could never say no. And I said, this is what Nietzsche says about Jesus and the Antichrist. He 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 lacks the capacity to say no ever. That's not Jesus. Sorry, sorry, Nietzsche. Your dad was a Lutheran minister, so of course you get the Bible wrong. But Jesus said no all the time. Jesus was the man to be. Uh, he's God, but he's also the man to try to be. He said no all the time. Women want a man that can say no. Women want three dudes that can be talking. Have you ever heard a podcast where it's three dudes talking? They're like, they're friends, but they don't know how to disagree with each other. Like it happened yesterday. You're like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not for deserting your state and, and just going to another state. I'm like, well, I, I, I am. And then you're saying something good. I'm saying something good. If you listen to one of those podcasts by and for soy boys, it's the most uninteresting thing in the world to listen to. And I don't bother I don't blame women for being sexually unattracted to soy boys because it's one guy making a point and the next guy, like the telephone game, sort of massaging what he was going to say so that it accommodates and befits the earlier guy's point, even though they probably disagreed. And the third guy taking on board both of what they'd said, they can't just say, oh, I disagree with that. Here's what I think. They can't do that. The main mark of 
a cuck. Just take this to the bank. All we're saying is men and women are radically different. Both of us are called to holiness, but we're radically different. The way most of us get to heaven and get to holiness is through one other man, one other woman that we give everything to. And let's just be honest. What a man primordially wants is a good girl who will be bad for and with him. A girl wants a, a guy that'll be a, a, a bad a, a bad boy that'll be good for and with her. And that's that's uh, that's a tale as old as time. What? Yeah. And I would sum that up as feminism is ultimately a symptom of male failure because when men abdicate their authority as leaders, then nature abhors a vacuum and women will step in to fill it. So if men aren't fulfilling their duties, aren't taking responsibility specifically within the family as providers and are expecting women to go out and work and pay for their own cars, clothes, support the children, etc., then those men are acting like feminists and they shouldn't be surprised by the consequences. Yeah, well, I mean, if a guy, I know guys with wives with their own bank account, it's like, well, I guess, yeah, I guess these are the kinds of guys who have to ask their wife's boyfriend permission to make a withdrawal from their own bank account, you know? I mean, at a certain point, we got to call a spade a spade. <laughs> Can we back up a bit uh, to, to the point I made earlier about this collision between, once again, I think the, the Aristotelian worldview and the Lockean Enlightenment view, as instantiated in, in America, probably more so than in the UK. But here's the fundamental conflict that I see is that if you have somebody who is a Catholic and is thereby committed in by, by na nature of what that entails for, for all the reasons that you just mentioned, mm -hmm. fundamental natural hierarchy. And then one is also told that they're committed to a, a, a social and political project or a social and political regime that is about egalitarianism and equal rights then how do you square those things, right? When someone goes, well, you believe in equal rights. You're an American, right? You believe in equal rights, right? Feminism is just equal rights. And, 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 and there you go. The, the Martin Bailey is set in. And now the, 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 the man, even the, the Christian man is unable to square this, this commensurability between natural hierarchy in the family and a, a, a commitment to equal rights. So I think that is actually in like the, the soul of the modern man in the West is, is, is it's this battle between Aristotle and Locke. Yeah. Let me say this. Let me say it loudly. Let me say it slowly for another wide sweeping mischaracterization of, of me and rules for retrogrades. It's like, I feel like Nixon. I am not a Lockean. And I agree with nah. everything Mike just said. I am not a Lockean for this precise reason. What Mike just said, but, but Ed Fazer points out, John Locke is not a natural law theorist, properly understood, for the reason Mike just points out. And Fazer points this out in his book on Locke. It's, a, it's got a red background and it was a major red pill for me. What happened? Okay, so here's how philosophy works: parish orphans and retrogrades out there. If you don't, if you haven't studied philosophy, it is a tree with branches, like theology is a tree with branches. The higher branches, the harder to reach branches, are where 
the truths, the ontological, metaphysical, epistemological truths come from. Okay, so the lower branches that everyone likes to dabble in, like ethics and political science, they have they're supposed to be square. I, I, I'm mixing metaphors now, but they're supposed to be consonant with the higher branches. John Locke, by stealing from the political philosophy, but not the ethics, the political philosophy of the school of Salamanca Jesuits and, and Bellarmine and Suarez and, and Juan de Mariana, literally plagiarizing and stealing from those guys or, or almost literally plagiarizing from them. He just took their bottom line. But those guys, as Catholics, Bellarmine in particular, had a bottom line that was natural law all the way up the branches of the tree to ontology and metaphysics. They are natural law thinkers, the Catholics. John Locke does not have a natural law uh, metaphysics. John Locke denies the natural law of metaphysics. He's a, he's a mechanist. He's a corpuscularian, the opposite of the natural law. And so he took the ideas of the Catholic natural law tradition in the realm of politics, which are, are most robustly developed with, with Suarez and Bellarmine. But he didn't even take the other low branches of the tree, which is ethics. And that's what Mike's pointing out. So I am not a classical liberal Lockean guy. I Because those ethics and politics, which should be the easiest to square, don't square. He's an individualist. He believes in autonomy. He believes in all of these things that in America got writ too large and were misunderstood and weren't understood in the true natural law metaphysical perspective. And that is also like Mike said, I, I don't disagree with the word of it. That's why we have the runaway rights claims. And I have that in chapter one of uh, Catholic Republic. I explain the runaway rights claims in chapter one of the, it's like Indiana Jones. You take the true rights away from the plate or you subvert the true rights. And then you fill the plate with garnish with parsley instead of bacon. Bacon. Yeah. Rights aren't um, intrinsic qualities of individuals considered separately from the 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 aim of the society that they're a member of. So the members of the society of the family, for example, they derive their rights from what the common good of that is. So the father has a right to authority because that's his job within that society. That's how it functions. He hasn't just got the right considered independently of that. Same like the reason murder's wrong, for example, is that um, my right to life, that's rooted in the common good. It's not that I have just in the abstract a individual right to life. Otherwise you end up with abstract individual rights to say um, contraception or abortion or the right to choose your gender identity because how do we detect those well someone just i just feel like you've got that right i feel like i've got dignity as a human person and i feel like i have a hunch i have that right and why not maybe i have a right to a holiday or to broadband and all this kind of stuff it just pro pro it, um, proliferates mm -hmm. whereas it's it's common good ultimately and um one point I thought of earlier, we haven't covered yet, is that if you go back far enough, most of the foundational feminist thought comes from men. And 
you've got the German attorney, Backofen, who was a big influence on Marx and Engels and had this idea of promiscuous communes long ago in the distant matriarchal past. And everyone had orgies and they're all happy. And children were raised communally, not within families. And then Marx and Engels saw this, liked the idea of it, and thought it would be a good way to undermine the society of the family, which was Marx's big goal. So the way that most men look at feminism, I feel, is a victim narrative that is ultimately doubly emasculating because you're failing as a man, exercising authority with the family. You're also a bit like Adam blaming Eve, saying it's the woman's fault that you're in the situation you're in. But go back far enough. Feminism is mostly sold to men by other men as a way for men to get sex outside marriage. And if you take that honey trap, then look where it leads you. You end up undermined as a man in terms of your authority within the family. And because your authority within society depends on your authority within the family, society being merely an outgrowth or extension of the family, family, clan, tribe, village, nation. Hence the king traditionally is called sire because he's like the father of the whole nation. Then that goes too. And then you're complaining you live in a matriarchy or as close to one as you can get. But it all started with ultimately wanting sex outside marriage. That was the bait. The ticket was taken. And now this is the ride and people are wanting to get off. But there's only one way to do it. Yeah, on, on Adam and Eve, well, I'll, I'll, I'm right there with you. In the case for patriarchy in chapter three, I cite all of the patriarchs uh, of the church, the, the first fathers, especially John Chrysostom is real. He hits this point so hard. Eve is the one that was tricked and Eve is the one that sins. The original sin is actually Eve's, right? Be because she was tricked. Chrysostom hits the point really hard. A man qua father, the, the natural differences aren't just muscles. Men are, men are wired differently. We have different brains. We wouldn't have been tricked, says John Chrysostom. And so the original sin is technically Eve's, but in a certain sense, the original sin is just feminism and it's the failure. The, it's a sin by omission by Adam first, which led to the proper sin by commission, the actual original sin by Eve, right? He should have been protecting his wife. He should have been the one making the decisions. He should have been the one interfacing with public people. Don't you know, it's a dangerous world now. You're, you don't, don't let your wife answer the door. This is, you should answer the door semi-defensively, even if you live in a nice neighborhood. You should be protecting her. That's what he should have been doing with regard to the serpent. And Augustine, Ambrose, uh, Jerome, Chris Austin, they're all saying the same thing. Yeah, it was Eve that got tricked, but this is Adam's fault. Yeah, don't leave your wife alone with snakes. Right, right. Well, I think this is, I think this has been a really good talk. Yeah. I mean, we've, I, we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. A lot of ground, but all, all related and all, I, I, do you think we've distinguished? Have we threaded the needle? Andrew Tate might be 75% of the way to anti-feminism, but Will's big point, I saw you doing tweets on this last week. You're not actually an anti-feminist, uh, Andrew Tate. You're not, I'm sorry. You might sound like one, until we get to have a peek at your final causation, what's driving it? What, what's, what's your motivation? And if it's not, if you don't want men to be in charge, one man per family, one man per woman, uh, 
so that society can be well-ordered and that only is an aggregate of a bunch of well-ordered mini societies, which are well-ordered families. You look after your own, I'll look after my own. Then, then everything you're saying about male leadership, male needs or rights, male inclinations and the dichotomy with female inclinations, male virtue and the dichotomy with female virtue, male power and the dichotomy with female power. It's all smoke and mirrors or it's all, uh, you know, a wrongly ordered machine. So you're not actually a, an anti-feminist at all, Andrew Tate, says Will Noland, and, and I agree. Did you have any parting shots, Mike? Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds, sounds, uh, sounds totally correct. Um, I would just say Andrew Tate, he has such a, a, a wide influence and, and a generation of young men looking up to him. So uh, I would suggest that, that he use that, use that wisely you know, and take some of these, uh, these points seriously. Yeah, like, yeah. Go ahead. As it stands, he's just furthering the destructive work of the sexual revolution, which is the very thing that he claims to be complaining about, because the essence of it is sex outside marriage, contraception, and the impact of that on the family is what people are complaining about, and it needs to be reversed, not continued. I feel, spoiler alert for Cobra Kai, because me and Mike have been talking about the new season, but I feel like Tate is a little bit like Terry Silver, and he's also a kickboxer, oh, yeah. who at the end, think of the way his students are looking at him at the very end, mm-hmm. the last episode. I'll yeah. try not to reveal if you guys are going through the new season of Cobra Kai, but it's like, he's kind of the macho guy telling the Cobra Kais, you know, I got your back. The world doesn't like you. I'm in it for you. And then he's exposed as a fraud. Like this actually isn't the best thing for you. This isn't the best thing for men or for women. This isn't the most anti-feminist thing for men or women. This is part of it. And then I feel like he's got a similar kind of appeal to Terry Silver and Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, you're just a fraud out for yourself. Right. You're a fraud. I mean, even though you're saying a lot of things that do appeal to natural masculinity, mm-hmm. both Terry Silver <laughs> And the bad sensei and uh, and Andrew Tate. It's like, no, at the end of the day, what did you did you cheat? Do we have this on on tape? You know, I feel like that's that's how all the red pill manosphere community ought to be looking at Dave Portnoy. I think people are turning on him and it's damn high time they do. I, I that guy annoys me much more than all the other guys, but they, they ought to be looking at Dave Portnoy fresh and fit. Andrew Tate, you know, the old Roosh. I, I like the new Roosh very much. That, yeah. That's this kind of repentance, redemption story. What happened to Roosh V? He, he's a very nice man. I've met him in real life and quiet and thoughtful and repentant yeah. for, for his role in the take advantage of women uh, patriarchal sphere, return of kings sphere. I, I like Roosh a lot. I'm waiting for these other guys to have a Roosh mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. And to turn it around, but I feel like there are a bunch of Terry Silvers until until they have that turnaround. Right? Yeah, because yeah, so Silver is charismatic. He's he's a leader. He there's he has qualities that are are uh, worthy, worthy of masculine, worthy yeah. of emulation. But yeah, but then there's something vital missing that that t- turns the whole him and the whole organization askew in in a a terrible way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad I had that. I'm glad. Well, because I mean, when you do lie, I mean, this, I wonder if Matt Frad has this all the time, having people live half the time, like yesterday when we had Harry Crocker in here, 
talking to him, Mike, it's like me and you were talking about it afterwards and you in particular, I had a few, but you had like four really great insights. And I was like, damn, I wish that had been on right, yeah. the tape. We're getting them more in now uh, and, and you too, Will. So I'm, when I'm saying thank you, thank you, I'm glad, I'm glad Will said that. I'm glad Mike said that. It's like, I knew you guys have good insights, but I'm glad you had it while the tape is rolling here. So, so thanks again, Will. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to talk to you again. You too, brother. I'm not trying to be gross, but my part, I, I really am not. That's, that's not a part of what I do, the salacious stuff. But I think the men out there listening, because they're new to the red-pilled manosphere, it might even be wholly foreign to a lot of the, the people that watch only Catholic content. I know Joe, Joe Boca, who I have on the show, watches a lot of this stuff as well. But you ought to know that if you're thinking maybe slightly with a guilty conscience. I'm one of these guys I do need to, in a, in a well-ordered patriarchal way, assert myself more with my wife and kids in a, in a good, healthy, moral leader way. You ought, here's a little extra motivation. It's very difficult, I don't know, impossible for your wife to, for, for a man to be the object of even his own wife's fantasy yeah desire i'll say desire fantasy sounds so weird and like the number one problem with fantasy football it sounds like some big gay orgy or something (laughs) um uh, his object of her desire if even at the time she's just saying can i get this can i get this can i get this and you never ever say no or you never assert your leaderliness it, it might be easy to do at the time but in the aggregate stop doing that because it's it's impossible I will say to be the object of desire when you don't give a woman what she desires, which is a leader, a a bounded function rather than an unbounded function. You have to, you don't have to be, there are different temperaments and there's no accounting for temperament, but occasionally, even if you're the most laissez-faire laid back dude, you gotta, you gotta be the leader in your family and say enough's enough. And and I, I wouldn't recommend doing it occasionally. So maybe a little extra motivation for the men out there. Don't be a sleaze bag. Don't be a hothead. Don't be a micromanager where you're saying, you know, telling your wife how to do each dish. But if you want a little prudential advice, be a real patriarch where everyone knows you're in it for the common good of the family, wife, and each kid in the in the particular and the the common good in the aggregate. So I think this has been a great show. But but we'll uh, we'll call it here. Will I, I I'd like to have you back on. Um, regularly or semi-regularly well and maybe mike i think i think these talks are particularly beneficial to young men uh young catholic men so that's what we're going to do in the meanwhile like this video subscribe click the notification bell so that there's a point to liking it or subscribing to it please do subscribe if you watch this channel a lot we're trying to grow our numbers to at least fifty thousand. Uh, within within a reasonable frame of time also go to realestateforlife.org get from your blue state to a red state, someone at realestateforlife.org will help you do it before the midterm elections. Things are going to get weird again. Do it before COVID-23. Things are going to get weird again. They've got something planned. God bless you all. The world's going to get better, even if it's just at the Perugia. Des Volt. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. 
Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.